Hey everybody, welcome to Faith and Good Counsel. I'm Stacy Gulino, your host, and I'm so delighted to be back with you again this week and so delighted to welcome a very, very special honored guest, a homeboy, if you might say, a Southern boy, an Acadiana boy to our show today. Chad Judice, who has a beautiful, beautiful story to share with us today, a, a story about the sanctity of life. How are you, Chad? I'm doing great this morning, Stacy. How are you doing? I am well, and I'm so delighted and thankful that you have agreed to come and be on with us. So many people are hearing the story of your family, Chad. It really centers around your beloved son, Eli. But, um, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, First, and then maybe we can get into the story of Eli. Sure, very briefly. Um, my name is Chad Judith. I'm a um, I'm a teacher at St. Thomas More High School uh, in the Diocese of Lafayette. I um, I wrote two books. And that's in Louisiana, right? Oh yes, the Diocese of Lafayette in yeah. Louisiana, not Indiana. I apologize. There you <laughs> I've, go. Written, uh, I've written two books: uh, "Waiting for Eli: A Father's Journey from Fear to Faith," and "Eli's Reach on the Value of Human Life and the Power of Prayer." I'm married to Ashley Judith. She is a uh, neonatal intensive care unit nurse at Women's and Children's Hospital. It's also in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. We have two children. Our oldest son's name is Ephraim, and uh, our youngest son's name is Eli. And actually, right now, my wife is 15 weeks pregnant for our third <gasps> child. Oh, and, praise uh, God. <laughs> he, uh, he's a healthy baby boy, oh. and his name is uh, Ezra Matthews. So I think when people hear me share the story today, the idea of my wife being that far along in a third pregnancy right now and the baby being pregnant will be a miracle in itself. Oh, what a beautiful, a beautiful gift. Oh, thank you for sharing that with us. I'm so, so delighted to hear that and so happy for you and happy to hear that, that Ezra Matthew is, is healthy. That is, that is a great gift. Well, tell us a little bit about Eli. What is it that your, your book is entitled Waiting for Eli? What is that book about? Okay, well, basically, the story starts off in May of 2005. I'm uh, in the process of leaving one school and joining the faculty at St. Thomas More. I gave some students an opportunity to ask me some questions, personal questions, with the end of the year being there. And um, one of my students asked me what my greatest fear was. And I responded that my greatest fear would be to have a child with a mental or physical handicap because I was such a perfectionist. Uh-huh. I didn't think I'd handle that very well. And I left that school and I made my transition to St. Thomas More, having no idea that in four short years that statement would become my reality. Wow. In, in the midst of our second pregnancy, um, a 16-week ultrasound uh, revealed that the text and my wife's OBGYN were unable to locate part of my son's brain, known as a cerebellum. Oh, my. And, and the following co- day, oh, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. coming from, I, I'm just thinking, I'm also a nurse, in fact, a nurse practitioner, so I'm thinking about... Wow that actual experience of being there on the ultrasound table and you know when something's not right. You know as a mother, but you especially know when you're a nurse. Absolutely. My wife being a nurse and seeing the look on the face of the tech when they realized something wasn't right, I asked the first one, you know, if there's something wrong. She said, well, I'm I'm having trouble locating a few things. And she, like, quietly got up and walked out of the room. Moments later, a second tech came in. and I kind of thought maybe the first one didn't know what they were doing. And when she began the ultrasound, I could see the same look on her face. And mm-hmm. that's when she said, like, you're going to have a son. She never said he was healthy. Mm-hmm. The OBGYN told us moments later that they were having trouble locating part of his brain. Oh. And then the following day, the specialist told us he'd been diagnosed with uh, a birth defect called spina bifida. Now, oh. 
since you're a nurse, if you just bear with me for a second, I want to explain to the audience exactly what Please. that is. It's a uh, neural tube defect. That's what your spinal cord is called in utero. That occurs in the first six weeks of pregnancy, and it literally means open spine. There are different types of spina bifida with different degrees of severity. Our son was diagnosed with the most severe form of spina bifida, which is a myelomeningocele. And what happens with a myelomeningocele is the meninges of the spinal cord and the spinal cord itself uh, float out into the amniotic fluid in, in, the wife, in my wife's um, uterus. And basically, that can cause paralysis. It can cause um, severe mental problems. And it also explained why we couldn't locate part of his brain because your neural tube connects to the back of your brain. And when his spinal cord floated out and opening in his back, it pulled the brain back, allowing the mm-hmm. front part of his head to fill up with water. And they call that hydrocephalus. Mm-hmm. So my wife, although being a nurse, worked at Women's and Children's, did not have any neurosurgeons working there at the time. And I'm sure you know that those are the types of physicians that have to be there after the child with this type of condition is born. Right. So she had little or no information about this and I was completely ignorant and that night when we got home and read some of the projected you know quality of life that medical science that some would have what we read was not very encouraging I mean 80 percent of the people who get that diagnosis choose abortion and 75 percent of children with that severe of a birth defect will cause an unexplainable miscarriage in the mother and then as we read on we realized that if, the, if our child survived the pregnancy within 24 to 72 hours following his birth, he would need major surgery on his spinal cord and on his brain. And even if they were both successful, you know, medical science said he would never walk. He had mental disabilities, and he'd have severe health problems the rest of his life. Now, and Chad, what part, yeah. Chad, hearing this information and, and letting this sink into your heart and mind, and I can just imagine the conversations between the two of you, the con- your prayer, you know, with God and why what what is happening and just the shock of it of it all maybe can you talk a little bit about that absolutely um, my wife and i after reading the information one of the key points in the book that really starts the entire journey is our conversation that night alone my wife is very upset she's crying she looks up at me and she says uh, i'm going to hell i said ashley Ooh. what are you talking about she said i'm actually thinking about aborting this baby oh. and you know for a moment there you know, I felt the Holy Spirit move me, and I grabbed her, and I said, hey, look, this is not your fault, not my fault. God sent us this child for a reason. we got to trust in God. Amen. The way, you know, uh, our oldest son trusts in us. And I was talking about the way Jesus teaches that, you know, you have to be as trustworthy and dependent on God as a small child is on their parent. And he talks about that in the Gospels when he calls the children around him, and he's teaching. And ironically, the next morning, uh, I went to school, and we had a school mass. And when the priest rose to proclaim the Gospel, that was the Gospel. You know, from Matthew, uh, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you become like this child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. <sighs> Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But Thank the key you. line for me was, whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me. Yeah. And then when I heard that, I mean, I realized that, you know, I, I had said those words to my wife the night before. God was, felt like God had my attention after that. And my Did... best friend on campus came running up to me afterward and said, listen, can I tell the kid? And I said, sure. So he asked 1,100 16, 17, 18-year-old kids to begin praying for my wife and I at St. Thomas More Catholic High School oh, my for a miracle. And, you know, they responded. And yeah. our, our journey of prayer with that community really started with that invitation and me realizing that in that moment when two broken men are weeping in front of 15-year-olds and embrace, oh. that, you know, I really had been brought to nothing. And in the midst of that nothingness, I had found God. 
and that the only person who could handle this was him. So we were going to give that to him, and we were going to put our faith and trust in him, and we were going to accept the outcome regardless of what it was. It's it, The irony has not passed me by, and I'm sure our listeners, that previously, what, four years prior you had said, you know, Correct. yeah, and look what the Lord offered you in a great gift. Was Ashley able to respond to that, the Holy Spirit, in that moment as quickly as you, or was that a, more of a delayed response for her? Um, actually, I think it was. You know, I think she didn't really, she never really actually thought about, you know, having an abortion. I think she didn't verbalize that yeah. because she was scared. Afraid, you know? and I think absolutely. Fear has a way of paralyzing you, you know. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's in, why the subtitle of the book is From Fear to Faith. Amen. And, and, and aptly titled. And, you know, in, in the profession, in the OB profession, we're surrounded by therapeutic abortion kind of things. And, and so it, 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 it's not surprising that that thought came to her mind. I mean, our entire culture um, has that, that sort of mindset. So, right. wow. So continue on with this story. Sure. Um, you know, that really, that invitation, and I don't want to, I want people to buy the book and read the book. Yeah. It's moved for many people, but that began a journey of faith, hope, and love with the St. Thomas More community that produced several little miracles along the way. And like I tell people, you know, it wasn't like God took our suffering away, but he sure revealed himself in the midst of it while we walked through it. And then if you fast forward, you know, till February, um, when my son was actually born at Tulane University Medical Center on the 17th of February in 2009, you know, doctors were stumped when he was born because the opening in his back that should have been the size of a softball was only the size of a 50 cent piece. Oh, my. And he could do things physically outside the womb and in the womb that based on, if you know anything about spina bifida, where his lesion is on his spinal cord, he really shouldn't be able to do. But we knew he had a couple of surgeries ahead of him. And after going through those two surgeries, he spent only two or three weeks in a hospital. And he was released in March of 2009. It would be two years before he saw the inside of a hospital again. My, what a gift. Yes. Now, you know, when I was in the midst of that is when I decided to write the book. And I began writing the manuscript. And it took me about 30 days during Lent to finish it. I finished it on Holy Saturday. Oh, Seven my. months later, it became the book Waiting for Eli, A Father's Journey from Fear to Faith, which is record time in the publishing industry now. I don't want to get too winded, but I do want to make this one point because I think it's it's a it's a unique piece of pro life literature in that it's the only story that I'm aware of where an unborn child was the catalyst. And I tell people mm. that, you know, when those kids at St. Thomas More High School, when they prayed that hard in that six or seven month period after we found out before he was born, for an unborn child in his mother's womb, they acknowledged he was alive. And before he took his first breath on this earth, if people read that book and truly examine their conscience, they're gonna see. God used his life from the womb to impact theirs. And, you know, I don't know what the future holds for my son, but I do know that, you know, if Ashley and I had not taken the path less traveled at that 20-week mark, uh, you know, we'd have ended a life that really wasn't ours to take. Amen. And we'd have missed out on all the blessings mm. that come from having them there. And, and not only us, but as I wrote about in my second book, other people who have been impacted by his life would have never been touched by him because we'd have ended that life. Exactly. I don't think we had the right to do that. No, no right to do that. Exactly. You just you just spoke the words that I was thinking. Well, we're talking today with with Daddy Chad Judice, yeah. uh, author uh, author of Waiting for Eli: Father's Journey from Fear to Faith, and his newer work, Eli's Reach on the Value of Human Life and the Power of Prayer. We're going to continue, Chad, in just a few moments. We're going to take a little break here. But when we come back, we're going to talk more about 
his reach, the, the purpose of his life that God is continuing to reveal to you and to your um, beloved wife, Ashley. So we'll be back in just a moment with Faith and Good Counsel and Stacy Galino and my guest today, Chad Judis. always hear from uh, different people at non-Catholic churches that Catholics were going to hell or that they really didn't know who the Lord was. The Catholic Church is not all what people say it is. I mean, it's completely different. There's so many stereotypes. It's very possible to know the Lord and it's very possible to have a relationship with God in the Catholic Church. I believe I was born into the Catholic Church and that's where I belong. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome back, everybody. This is Faith and Good Counsel. I'm your host, Stacey Galino, and I'm so honored and pleased and blessed to have with me today as our guest, Chad Judice. Welcome back, Chad. Hi, Stacey. You know, um, one thing, Chad, I, I'm sure we've whetted the appetite of our listeners. We need to know how to pick up your books and find out more information about your work. I know you're a speaker, too, as well. Absolutely. If you go to my website, uh, www.waitingforeli.com, uh, or you go to amazon.com, you can order the books online there, and they're in ebook format or in hardbook uh, format. And if you go to my publisher through my website, he'll send you a signed copy to your house uh, anytime, any place. And I am a national speaker. Um, I was the uh, special guest of the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., a little over two weeks ago uh, on uh, St. Matthew's Cathedral. For the 41st annual March for Life, I was the keynote speaker there, sharing Eli's story. So I'd love to come to your parish um, or to your uh, to a Catholic event or a non-Catholic event, even people that are just Christian and are pro-life that would like me to share Eli's story with them. They can find information on to contact me there as well. You know, uh, wow. And I mean, I, you've actually been speaking all over. You were on Raymond Arroyo's show on The World Over, um, on EWTN. I mean, you're making a, a little boy from a, a, a guy from a Lafayette is sure is making waves in the uh, in the U.S. for sure with your speaking and sharing this beautiful story. This, this story, it is a cross, but it's also a resurrection that God is calling you to to share your family um, with others to inspire and remind us of how sacred life is. And, you know, I, what I, I'm reminded, and I know you speak about this in one of your books, the story of Abraham and Isaac and how, how much Abraham loved God and was obedient to God up to and including sacrificing his own beloved son, his only son, the son he had waited and to old age to have the son, the child that he was promised. Can you talk a little bit about how the, the story of Abraham and Isaac inspires your story with Eli? Sure. Um, I think if you, you know, read the Bible from the heart of the church, you know, by typology, you understand that Abraham and Isaac is the foreshadowing of God uh, giving up his only son in John three sixteen in the New Testament, you know, um, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. And, you know, we are called to, to love that way. And really, if I relate the story of Abraham and Isaac, Abraham was willing to die to himself to do what God was asking to do, to fulfill God's will. And the biggest lesson Eli has taught my wife and I, and most people that encounter him, is how to die to self. 
you know, um, is that every day is about him. It's not about me and my wife. It's not about his older brother. It's not about my mom and dad or my in-laws who help us on a weekly and daily basis with him. It's about him. Mm-hmm. And it just teaches you how to be selfless, you know, and I think Abraham's story and Isaac's story are a great example of that. And I think that's what uh, the lesson has taught me and my family. And that's certainly the lesson Eli is teaching us and other people who come in contact with him. It's that total abandonment to divine providence. And, and, you know, those lessons do come through across what might be seen as a tragedy by some. I mean, certainly in your mindset, four years prior to Eli's birth, not having experienced something like this, maybe your mind was a little bit in that that vein. However... The, the beauty of the conversion in your heart, not that it's intentional, we just don't know, but when we're actually presented right. with this, you know, this gift, if you will, the gift of redemptive suffering, right? Then we Correct. begin to immerse more deeply and unite ourselves so intimately with Christ on the cross. And he's bringing great fruit from that redemptive suffering, from that uniting, that surrender that you and your wife and your family and even Ephraim, we haven't talked much about but Ephraim, but, you know, right. he's also called to this in a different way as a sibling. But you talk so beautifully and in sharing stories in your latest work, Eli's Reach, um, about right. others who have been impacted um, about Eli's story. Maybe talk a little bit about some of those um, stories. Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, you just mentioned embracing the cross and how there's always a resurrection. And for me, the stories I share in the second book about the people who have been impacted by Eli's story is the resurrection from that redemptive suffering. And to give you an example, um, you know, you would think that a little boy in a wheelchair would only have limited reach, but really I'm talking about God's reach into the lives of others through him. And one of the most powerful stories in the second book is about a prisoner who was changed, actually a few prisoners' hearts who were changed by Eli. Dale Godet is the inmate at the Zachary State uh, Police Barracks in Louisiana. He's in a He's in prison for second-degree murder without parole. He's also a Eucharistic minister and someone who's turned his life around in prison. His story's in the book, but his spiritual director gave him my book, um, and he read it, and it really impacted him. And there was this one prisoner who refused to go to Mass, refused to talk to God, had given up on him, and he had reached out to him and nothing worked, but he knew he was a parent. So he gave him my book, and he asked him to read it. And about an hour later, this other inmate met him at the foot of his cell, and he was in tears. And he said, how's the little boy? Mm-hmm. And Dale looked at it and said, I'm not really sure, but if you want, we can pray for him. And it's the first time in 30 years that man said the Lord's Prayer. Oh, my. So the idea of, a, you know, a child who can't walk uh, was the source of um, ending someone else's paralysis in faith. That is... is a, it's a huge impact. That's stunning. one example. That's just yeah. one yeah. example. Just stunning. Of stores that are completely separate, people that would never, never meet. And as you and your wife are going through the day-to-day living of, of a Catholic family, it's it's amazing, I'm sure, and very humbling to see how God manifests the fruit of your sacrifice. It's just a beautiful, beautiful. Tell us more. I want to know more. Sure. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples that are directly related to the pro-life movement. Um we had a young lady and a young man who were seniors in high school, Cameron and uh, Cameron Hayes and Kyle Carmelo. They went to a public high school in Church Point, Louisiana, and they were dating their senior year, and they've been dating a while. They got pregnant. They were not living a chaste life. The little girl went about 20 weeks to the doctor to get an ultrasound, and she found that her child had a severe birth defect. In fact, it was one degree more severe than Eli's, and her child would be born with anencephaly. This means that the child would be born without part of its brain and probably wouldn't live very long following birth. The doctor there suggested that 
she have an abortion prior to 20 weeks, and he could send her to Houston for a great doctor to carry out the procedure. Now, ironically, um, Eli's godfather's wife, her cousin was this little girl's teacher at a public school. She gave her my book, and she read it. After she read my book, her and her boyfriend decided to carry the child to term, refusing mm-hmm. to abort the child. Wow. Their child was born. Uh, it died. His name was London. Uh, and I won't, you know, condone the young man and her sleeping together before marriage, but I will right. condone him for, or give him credit, I should say, for sticking by her side through and this. Choosing life. And yeah. After, yeah, choosing life. After the child was born, she gave a pretty incredible testimony about the value of all life to that child and how when she read my book, she chose faith over fear. And that even though she lost her child, she would never live with the guilt of taking part in ending his life. Mm. Now, her and that young man are still together. She's becoming a nurse like my wife. And now they're in college going on with their life. But I dare say had they made an opposite choice, they would still be here. So even though that child didn't survive, you know, um, that influenced them and their decision not to choose abortion, but to choose life. God creates good out of every, every situation. Absolutely. That is so, so beautiful. You know, one of the things um, that you mentioned um, in the book is we have such a great uh, treasure in the New Orleans area with the Shrine of Blessed Father Silos. And earlier you mentioned you you and your wife and, uh, what, 1,100 students prayed for a miracle. Sometimes those miracles don't come in the way that we fashion them in, in our mind. Can you talk a little bit about how you approached or how you Pray for the intercession of Father Silos, and what that was like, and maybe how the how God manifest manifested the miracle differently than what you expected or what you hoped for. Absolutely, I'll try to give you an abbreviated version if I can. After Eli was born, his neurosurgeon said, um, after placing a shunt in his head, which is used to control the fluid that comes up and down his spinal cord into his brain, he had a cyst on the inside of his brain that would continue to grow as he did. And eventually it could, you know, cause a shunt malfunction to block the fluid from flowing properly. And I spent a year in prayer at the chapel with a first-tier relic of Father Silos, whose shrine I visited after I was first born in New Orleans and released in 09. And then around Easter of 2011, that cyst became a problem for my wife and I and for Eli. And on Holy Saturday night, Easter Sunday, and going to the Monday following that on 2011, my son was facing three consecutive brain surgeries for a malfunction in the shunt. And it was caused by this cyst that was blocking the fluid from flowing up and down the spinal cord into his brain. And on that Sunday evening, before the possible third surgery, after being under anesthesia for almost 72 hours without mm-hmm. coming to, mm-hmm. I stood next to his bed with the card that I had prayed for a year. I prayed it, asked Father Silos for his intercession, prayed to the Blessed Mother and said a rosary. The following morning when we walked in to see him, my doctor pulled us into, or his doctor pulled us into a room with just him and his assistant, me and my wife. And I'm sitting there thinking he's going to tell me that my son is going to die. Mm. He looks up at us and says, I can't explain what happened. But mm. last night, that's that's just shrunk over 80% overnight. <gasps> oh. And your son doesn't need surgery today. Oh, my goodness. Praise and by God. the end of the week, he was home, and he hasn't been back in the hospital since. Now, the, that's the abbreviated version of the story I wrote at the end of Eli's Reach. Yes. But I cannot say enough about, you know, Hebrews when it's written about the cloud of witnesses in heaven. And in Revelation 5, when it talks about the incense rising from the holy ones in heaven to God and the saints in heaven to God. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you the impact the community of saints has had on our journey with Eli. For him, the saints have definitely come marching in. You know, Chad, I'm just wondering, how are you able to have hope amidst ongoing, very serious medical complications, surgeries, 
uh, et cetera, um, just the day-to-day um, struggle of taking care of a, of a child who has very special special needs. And, and, and knowing that at, at any moment, maybe your child could die. How do you handle that continual surrender to God, to divine providence, and have hope amidst that? I would say, first and foremost, I'm a frequent attendee to Mass. I go to Mass two, three times a week. Um, I'm very blessed here at St. Thomas More. I can go into the chapel and off period and be with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament for over an hour every day, um, you know, being in prayer constantly. And then, you know, I think at some point you have to realize that your children really aren't yours. Yeah. They're God. And that, um, you know, I just take in every moment I have with them because I know that it could be the last one. Yes. And when you come to a point of acceptance in your life, acceptance of the reality in which the hand you were dealt is peace. Amen. Knowing that you're not in control. Because if I try to control this every day and really think about it the way that most people could obsess about it, it would drive me insane. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks be to God for your witness. And I'm just, I'm thinking about your family and I'm picturing both Ephraim. Is it Ephraim or Ephraim? How do you say it? It's it's Ephraim. Ephraim. And Ephraim Ephraim and Eli, how old are they now? Ephraim is nine uh, and Eli is about to to turn five in a couple of weeks. Oh my. How, How does Ephraim understand... Eli's condition, um, and does he is he loving to his brother? Do they play together? How how what is their relationship like? It's a great relationship, and I want to thank you for asking me about Ephraim because he's a very special kid, and he yes. often gets overlooked because of his brother's situation. But yeah. probably one of the most selfless kids I know. I'll give you a story that epitomizes their relationships for short. A couple of summers ago, we were at the beach, and um, we were in the up in the hotel room, and there was a bag of chocolate chip cookies sitting there, and had one cookie left in it. Ephraim went over there to grab it, and he was pulling it toward his mouth, and he stopped about halfway to his mouth, and he looked over at me and Eli and his mom, oh. and he broke the cookie in half, and he said, I better give half to my brother. Oh, oh. Uh, I mean, and you know, if you think of a eight- or nine-year-old can be that self-aware oh. and that self that's just one example. I could tell you, I could spend another hour talking to you about him. Um, you know, if you think that one example, how much easier is it for me at 35 years old to recognize the call to selflessness that's there if my eight- or nine-year-old can do that with his own brother? Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you they don't have their moments where they're brothers, because they absolutely right. do. Which, that's you know, normal. <laughs> it is normal, and it wouldn't be normal if it wasn't that way. But, you know, he's very protective. He's very loving. And I think, you know, where, where, Ephraim, where Ephraim lacks things, Eli's going to compliment him, because Eli's very intelligent. Yeah. And, and Ephraim has a couple of learning, learning issues. But where Eli lacks physically, Ephraim inspires him to work harder to become more physically adapt to what he can do based on his birth defects. So they almost complement one another. Absolutely. It's so beautiful. I, I can hear in your voice that, and your understanding that you see each of their unique identities as sons of the Most High God. And that is such a, a beautiful, a beautiful gift. And you're, and you're fostering that that total self-donation, that, that, that selflessness that we are called to in our relationships with one another, that total giving selfless love with your boy. And just in our last minute here, Chad, please tell us again how people can get in touch with you, how people can get your books. Sure. Um, you can get in touch with me at uh, www.waitingforeli.com. Uh, all of my information, contact information is there. And you can go to Amazon.com and order the books online, or you can get them as e-books. And I, I wouldn't want to close this without saying something about my wife, who is an incredible person and is my rock. And my wife is uh, someone who works every weekend in the neonatal unit for the past four years. And uh, she has really taught me a lot about 
what it means to be a parent and what it means to not yourself and how to handle things that are really difficult. So I just want to say something about her. Amen. Too. Well, God bless her. God bless you, your boys, your family, your, your new baby coming, Ezra. And uh, we'll be praying for you and I uh, hope you'll come back with us again on Faith and Good Counsel. And, uh, Love to come back. Amen. God bless you. Until, we, until next time, this is Stacey Galino with Faith and Good Counsel. We'll see you next time. Pax Christi, y'all. Bye-bye.